At long last, I am able to say a few words of my own. Read my lips. Government is not the solution to our problem. Senator, good morning again in America. Well, look, Big Bird. Yes, we did. Government is the problem. Good evening and welcome to a liberal and a conservative walk into a bar. My name is Matt and I'm a liberal. My name is Tim. I'm a conservative. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure and check out our website at libcon.podbean.com. You can come play with us on at uh, Twitter. I'm at uh, libconmatt. Tim is at libcontim. We are in the iTunes store. We're in the Google store. We're on Stitcher. Find Tim's book on Amazon. It's called Things I Want. I kind of feel like I was about to say come play with us on the Twitter which would not, I'm not that old. I promise I'm not that old. I understand what Twitter is and I don't run around saying things like the YouTube, uh, not that often anyway. So, uh, I'm, I'm good with the kids. Nice. Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> so now we're going to talk about the, uh, we're going to start off, give you a quick update on the election. We're going to talk about the uh, state of the affordable care act. Uh, there's been a lot in the news about that lately. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, politicians in crisis response after some of the, uh, sort of uproariness over uh, President Obama's little visit down to Louisiana. Uh, round of applause, WTF and something cool. How you doing? You ready to do this? I'm ready. It's pretty pretty hot in this room, so let's let's get this show on the road. Amen to that. Yeah, I don't want to... I, I would, I will, it would not do to have you passing out on your first weekend of freedom from your wife. <clears throat> Man, it's actually been a depressing couple of days. I'm not enjoying this the way that I sometimes do. I think it's because I'm by myself. Like normally, like I either was, you know, I had you, uh, you were living with me or like mom and dad, like, and, and this time there's just not really anything. So haven't enjoyed this as much. That's okay. You'll be out here tomorrow. So well, not tomorrow. Monday, there we go. So yeah. We'll have some fun. It's entirely possible that we will not be around next week. We're not sure yet. We'll post something up on 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 the the website or a quick little hi, how you doing? But uh, either that or we'll post a show. We're not entirely sure. So if we're not around next week, it's because Tim's out visiting me, and we're having a good time, and we really just don't feel like talking to you guys. It's not that we don't love you; we just need some time. So anyway, uh, more likely on. that we'll do the show because we just enjoy doing this. So well, this is also possible. So uh, anyhow, all right. Well, let's start out with the election. It's 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 just been uh, you know there there's. It felt like Hillary was on the attack all week long. It was just this constant stream of, you know, stuff from, uh, you know, the health thing, which I think everybody pretty much agrees is crap. And and then there, you know, there was more about the email because uh, they're going to release like fifteen thousand more. And then the AP had their little story about uh, calendars and all this stuff with the Clinton Foundation and. Uh, you know, it, it, it just, it felt like this was a bad week for Hillary, even though I'm not entirely sure that it was. Wait, so you mean she was uh, under attack? You said on the right. attack. Uh, no, under attack. And then and okay. at the end, she sort of came back a little bit with the, the speech on, uh, you know, uh, frankly, framing Trump exactly for what he is, you know, and, and, and trying to take hold of this, uh, this stuff from the alt-right. Uh, and tie Trump directly to them, which is not hard because he is tied directly to them. Let's face it. Um, so her poll numbers dropped a little bit. She's back on the upswing now. She never really, I mean, she's still up by like six, six and change at the moment. She was never really any lower than that. So, I mean, I, I think everything's 
pretty much status quo. Trump has tried to do his little outreach thing to talk to the black people and go out there and say, you know what, black people, your lives suck. Why don't you vote for me? Which is basically what he's doing. Uh, he had his little shift on immigration where he's coming back a little bit towards the middle and he pissed off all his little alt-right friends and now he's, you know, Ann Coulter got mad and now he's heading back to the other direction, I guess. Uh, I don't know, you know, seems all pretty status quo to me. What do you got? What do you think? Well, as far as Clinton goes, I mean, she has been aggressively attacking Trump from the start. So, I, I mean, maybe at this stage she got a little flack this week for you know the health thing, which, as you said, was pretty ridiculous, and the and the AP's thing on her foundation. Uh, but I don't think that she really scaled back her nonstop attacks on on Trump for everything from being a bigot to lying to, to all of the things that she says about him. So. Um, I, I think probably status quo is really probably the right term. No, I don't think anything has really changed. Uh, her foundation continues to be a source of possible sketchiness, which really is just the theme for Clinton. There is always this underlying, uh, what's going on there? Is this, is, is, is this being shady? Why, why isn't the State Department just releasing these things? Why is this an issue? Like, If you have nothing to hide, why does it seem weird is this just the right-wing conspiracy which i don't think you can put the ap under right-wing conspiracy groups uh well so, but, okay okay so know, here's it, why it's interesting the, yeah but okay with the with the foundation here's here's why the ap story was crap you have a, a head of state right who has met first of all just the numbers initially when i first read them they said they took uh, 154 meetings and out of those 154 85 of them were with people who, again, they can't prove anything. These were just 85 of them with people who had given them money at some point. And let's not forget that the Clinton Foundation has been in existence since Bill Clinton left office in 2000. This is this is what he's been doing since he stopped being the president. So they're, it's not like this just sort of started when Hillary became secretary of state and it was a way for them to like funnel money. That's point number one. Point number two, Hillary Clinton. And I don't think Hillary and Bill have ever actually profited personally from the foundation itself. They have never, I don't think taken a paycheck out of the Clinton foundation. So this idea that there was pay for play directly to the Clintons is a little bit disingenuous in that respect. So all of these people out of that 154, Again, the AP says 85 of them had at some point given money to the Clinton Foundation. Well, a lot of rich people had given money to the Clinton Foundation. That doesn't necessarily mean that there was a direct correlation between the two. That's point number one. And point number two, do you really think that in the four years she was Secretary of State, she only took 154 meetings? Seriously? And what you meant, what what everybody is so upset about is that they basically lopped off anywhere from two to 3,000 meetings that she took with U.S. government officials and foreign dignitaries because they said straight out, we, lo- we, did, we, we excluded all meetings with U.S. government officials and foreign dignitaries and arrived at this 154 number. Okay, so 
Yeah, in that respect, I'd say the 85 out of 154, that looks pretty crazy because if you look at 85 out of 3,000, then that's probably not that big a deal, right? So how did you arrive at the 154 in the first place? Who's a foreign dignitary? Who's a government official? It's It seemed like a just a big smokescreen. And Vox, CNN, MSNBC, The Washington Post, The New York Post even – have all posted articles basically condemning the AP's article and the AP has taken to trying to defend it badly online. So yeah, that's, that's where the AP story was sort of a mess. All right. May, now far be it for me to dispute the vast majority of the mainstream media, but the liberal media, the evil liberal media, if the, if Hillary, so one, the AP discloses all of this in its article. It's not like they try to hide any of this. They explain the reason for discarding government officials and all these things because she would naturally have to meet with these people in the course of her secretary of state business. So they're looking at the 154 meetings, which is all that they have access to. This goes back to why isn't the the state department just releasing her schedules, right? This is all that they've released. So of the 154 meetings, that they know exist with individuals that she would have chosen to meet with, that she didn't have to meet with because of her secretary of stateness that she chose to meet with 85 of them. So well over, over half had given money to the foundation. So when you're looking at, you know, just the percentage of people in the world, why, why would people who had been a part of the Clinton foundation have that much access to the secretary of state that they were the ones who were able to get a meeting with her. Now, but what is if it just people that would have met with the secretary of state they, anyway? Sorry. Right. Exactly. Is this just happenstance in the same sense that like, you know, people that I know personally are more likely to donate to my foundation and are also people that I am more likely to have a meeting with. Well, yeah, like that seems legit. Now, a lot of now does from what I read, at least there are at least several cases of these people who had given money to the foundation, wanted to meet with her and wanted something or they were meeting with her because they wanted something from her. They wanted her to do something. So does, does any of this point to absolute, aha, look at this awful thing she did? No, it's not quite that cut and dried. But do I feel like those numbers are enough for me to want to raise an eyebrow and wonder why the State Department isn't making sure that they release all of these schedules well before the actual election? Yeah, this is enough for me to raise an eyebrow. I'm I'm not ready to just throw this out as, as ridiculous. This seems like a legitimate concern. But why? Isn't it necessary for a secretary of state to a certain extent to be able to take meetings with whoever they want to take meetings to with and to trust that to a certain extent their schedules can remain confidential because they may be having confidential discussions. They may be discussing things that need to stay quiet early on because of national security issues and doesn't that open up yeah, just this massive can of worms? Talking. And why is Hillary Clinton different from every other secretary of state in history? 
Why is it that Hillary Clinton's schedules have to be released? Why does everyone care so much? Because her husband runs a foundation. And because some of the people that have given money to the to the foundation that her husband runs met with her while she was a secretary of state, which, as you said, more than likely could have been friends of them, or they could have been other people who she would have to meet with in the course of, of normal diplomatic uh, events for all we know. Well, from my understanding of of my understanding of the AP's article, they were discarding. That's the reason why they only did 154 meetings. They were discarding those people that she had to meet with in the normal course of her duties. And they were just looking at the 154 people that she personally chose to meet with. And at least some of them, there were meetings because those people wanted something from her. And so it's this concern that, you know, is there, was there a certain amount of, well, if you had given money to their foundation, then you were able to get the secretary of state's ear, which that doesn't jive with the way we think government should work. That starts to ring of the oligarchy, you know, and of Uh, which there is no proof and of which there is only circumstantial. There is no stuff. Right now, at any point, and they're investigating it. And did they? I don't know. Apparently, there was some tweet. Thank God, I didn't see the tweet. You know, so it sounds like maybe they overstated their case. But just because they're overstating themselves doesn't mean that there is nothing, and that it shouldn't even be looked into. So I would say the AP overstated, but this is a worthwhile thing to investigate. If They're the, overstating. One of the things that they overstated was their initial tweet. Breaking news from the Associated Press. Quote, more than half of those who met Clinton as cabinet secretary gave money to the Clinton Foundation. Right. That was their initial tweet. And that is leaving out the fact that they would, the fact that they explained themselves in the actual article. Um, but, I, you know, I mean, for us to get, I, I'm annoyed with headline media in general. Everyone is guilty of this. So, yes, shame on you for playing into the the headline media of today. Am I, am I shocked that they wanted to grab headlines? No. It just seems to be what a lot of people are doing. And I will argue against it, and I hate it, but I think it's a little hypocritical for all of these news agencies to be jumping on the AP for it when they all do the same goddamn thing. Well, I mean, that's probably true, but I'm, I'm jumping on them because I still think there's nothing to see there in that respect. It is overreacting to 85 meetings over the course of three to 4,000 during the two, three, 4,000, however many over a four year period. And do I actually begrudge her anything? If they had a witness, if they had anybody at any point throughout the very long career of Hillary Clinton promising to do them very specific favors that compromise national security beyond the usual, well, politicians just take meetings with, with rich people sort of thing, which is not news. And stop acting like it's different because it's Hillary Clinton. It's not. Then, you know, the, the, until there's some kind of proof of that, I don't want to hear it. 
I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear that somebody thinks Benghazi was a little or that the email could have, well, it might have been a little or that Whitewater was, well, it was just a little or maybe, you know, the Clinton Foundation is, well, it's maybe just a little. No, 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 no. You have had all of the, well, maybe just a little for one lifetime with this woman. When you have something, come back to me. Not until then. I, I agreed. We, we've been down this road too much with the Clintons and uh, it does seem like it does seem odd how much we go after her. I agreed. It's been a little too much. Yes. I, I'm, I'm not arguing this point. All I'm saying is that what they show for me is enough for me to go, huh, it's a little odd. And it obviously is enough for the Clintons themselves because Bill has said that they will no the Clinton Foundation will no longer take will only take domestic donations. Well, totally if fair. she becomes president, yeah. and it can, so and that they could be they recognize that there's potential for something to 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 get sketch. So I mean, for the yeah, they even they recognize that there's potential there. So. It should be watched and it should be looked into. Do I think it requires a congressional oversight committee? No, that would start to get a little ridiculous. But well, tens I'm, of million, millions of dollars spent on investigating. Right. This would be foolish. But am I going to, you know, say the AP is just way out of line here? No, I'm not going to say that either. Well, I think they were a little out of line with that initial tweet. But you're right in the fact that, you know, yes, that's, uh, that, that's a failing, that is a failing of the media in general. All right. We got to move on. The the one thing I the one other thing that I do want to say very quickly is about Trump and the polling and all this other mess that's out there because one of the things that's been driving me crazy lately is that I I, I keep hearing defense and this is a defense that I hear from all of his little his little people uh, and then all of uh, uh, you know um, even some of the the right thinking the normal normal person media that are saying well you know we misunderestimated Trump you know early on you know with you know, because, you know, we, we, the, we looked and the polls were wrong, you know, during the primary season. And I'm like, you know what? Actually, I looked. Stop. The polls weren't wrong during the primary. The polls were absolutely right. It was our reading of the polls that was wrong from the top from about the about mid-May. Not that long after Trump entered the race, within a few weeks, Trump took the lead. He relinquished that lead for four days in November to Ben Carson by about two-tenths of a percentage point, and then he went right back into the lead, and he led the rest of the way. Trump, it is, for the most part, Trump never, was never behind. Only for very short periods of time. So, don't look at these polls that are going on now and going, well, you know, maybe there's a little, you know, because we misread them. Nobody misread anything last time. Everybody read the wrong things into the polls and just assumed that he was going to fall, but he never did. So it's not like all the polling initially was wrong like it was with Brexit. With Brexit, the polling was actually incorrect. And we're not going to, if that's the case, we're not going to know that until after November. But so far, polling for the most part surprised people, but it wasn't incorrect. Okay, I think that may be fair. I would need to go back and really look at things because I don't know about percentage-wise, right? Like state by state, you know, like this idea that Trump did far better than was expected. You know, was expected to win by some in this state or that state and then actually ended up like destroying the other candidates. 
I, well, I'm, I'm, I, I'll, I'm I'll admit, I'm only going based on say, national polling and on uh, Real Clear. If you go to Real Clear's national polling uh, for the Republican primary season, that's what I was going off of. Okay, so I, I can't I can't speak to that because I haven't looked at it. But the idea that there are people who are embarrassed that they're for Trump, or maybe not even embarrassed, or just that they know the reaction that they'll get. You know, I can speak this from, I had one moment of pure fury over all the transgender bathroom stuff that I said, well, maybe I will vote for Trump. And the level of animosity that I encountered from friends was unbelievable. So it's not weird or even new for his campaign manager to be pointing out that there may be quote unquote undercover Trump voters. Now, is it going to be enough of them to swing the election? Doubtful considering how big Clinton's lead is, but this isn't a ridiculous statement. I don't think because it's something that's been getting said and it's something that I've personally experienced. I don't know. Yeah, but that's from people you know. I mean, this is somebody This is somebody on the phone who's a professional pollster, and that's also assuming that all polls are conducted by phone anymore. They're not. Um, a lot of them are conducted on, online uh, anymore. Because, frankly, if the only way that people were conducting polls, we'd never have any polls. People don't answer their cell phones. Um, or all polls would be people 65 and over that still have landlines. And, frankly, in that case, I think Trump would be winning by a lot more. I am not a polling expert and cannot speak to with all of these different polls exactly how this goes about, whether they're online over their phone, who they're calling, how this works. I got nothing. Um, Well, I think it's crap because at least in some case there would be more. There would be there would be some there's one or two outliers. And one of the outliers that's out there is a poll that's conducted so differently that everybody points to and says, okay, that's an outlier, which is the LA times USC poll that's being done on a weekly basis, which constantly shows that the race tighter than everybody else. And one of the reasons is, is that the polling sample is taken differently and to so differently. In fact, that it's the only poll out there that actually has no margin of error. How many polls do you know that have no margin of error? How does that have no margin of error? I don't understand. I have no idea. Yeah, it doesn't matter because I think that it's what I think part of what it's doing is is I think it's polling. You know what? I don't know it well enough, but I I read the procedure and it was weird. Um, And I don't I don't want to comment on the specifics of it because I don't remember it off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, you'd think that there would be some other than one or two outliers. And the other one that tends to be an outlier, I think, is Rasmussen, who they're the ones that got that had Romney winning, yeah. uh, you know, so they've lost just a little bit of credibility um, over that one. So, yeah. Oops. So anyway, I don't know. I whatever. So. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I got nothing. I, I don't want to talk anymore about Trump. We've gone on about long, this far longer than I wanted to. Um, so, OK, well, we're going to move on and talk about. uh the Affordable Care Act, which is getting, you know what, it's, it's, it has not been, forget the politics and everything else, it's, it has not been a good couple weeks for the ACA. It hasn't been a good couple weeks for healthcare in general. There's been a lot out there. Uh, Tim and I have both stated that we, we were both supportive of, of the Affordable Care Act. There's a lot of things in there that we, we like. Um, 
but you know, we both sort of, I think looked at it as a starting point. Um, but you know, there's a lot of questions that have come up here. We're losing, uh, providers in the marketplaces. Um, the whole EpiPen crisis, the epinephrine, uh, delivery system, um, which is, which is a tremendously useful drug and frankly, not terribly expensive. The cost of that has gone up something like five or 600%. It now costs $600 a dose. Um, I think is exposed to flaw in the ACA because it didn't address those problems. Um, so we, let's, let, let's talk about, first of all, let's, let's, let's start, let's talk about this from a standpoint of, of why did, why did you like the ACA? What was it about the ACA that you liked? Well, let's be honest. The main thing that I liked about the ACA was that it was a change from the current system. Like the, the current system to me was completely broken and busted. And the ACA was a step towards getting it under control. And I felt that if we didn't pass the ACA, then we would be still talking about healthcare the same way we're still talking about immigration. Something's got to be done, something's got to be done, and nothing ever happens. So it had to get passed so that healthcare would be something that we were making progress on. Their healthcare was simply too expensive and unaffordable and impossible for too many Americans. And while the ACA certainly does have plenty of flaws, I think that it did make healthcare more accessible for millions upon millions of people. Um, now, a big part of that comes from Medicaid. That's where you see a, a, a huge portion of, of the assistance coming from. Uh, and then also, of course, from the subsidies. So if you're in this lower, lower echelon of people uh, from a, an income standpoint, then it was enormously helpful. Uh, but for a lot of the middle class and folks of that nature, this, this has turned out to be brutal. Uh, and it has turned out to be brutal for a lot of health insurance companies that they simply can't afford to be a part of this. So there's definitely some cracks in the system and they need to get addressed. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that. Well, we'll talk about the cracks in a second. So, I, I mean, as far as, as far as what I, what I liked about the system and what, what I, what I still like about it was, was the fact was one, what you said was that, that it, you know, it was, it was looking at a problem that I had been hearing about most of my adult life and, it had never seen anybody do anything about it. So I was relieved to see somebody at least attempt to do something. The two things that I was relieved that it did was that one, it addressed being turned down because of a preexisting condition, which I always thought was crap. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one. It addressed that. And it also addressed, um, it addressed just the overall uh, uh, problem of obtaining healthcare. And making sure that people knew how you could obtain healthcare, um, and getting that out there. And I thought that the mandate, at least once I got sold on it, that the mandate was probably a good idea, based on how to uh, how to uh, based on how the system works in and of itself. Um, and there was one other rule in there that that I uh, for some reason I'm blanking out on, and I I, I can't think of it, but. Um, the the thing to me that that it didn't address 
was this issue of cost uh, and the idea that that you know medical care is still basically pay for play and the idea that drug companies can charge whatever the hell they want to. So if they want to raise the cost of something that is enormously important to, to the business of saving lives to a thousand dollars a dose, $1,500 a dose, $2,000 a dose, they're more than welcome to do that. Uh, and, and then come up with lame excuses like they're like all their CEOs usually do. Um, and it doesn't, to me, it, 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 the mandate of the part of the larger problem to me is that you're like, like you said, you've got these insurers that can't afford to be a part of it because you've got sicker people coming into the system now that need care and it's important that they get it. Um, but because you've got sicker people coming in, it's less cost effective for these companies to continue to insure them. And that was where the mandate was supposed to come in because that was supposed to get healthy people into paying into the pool to balance that out. But one of the things that I read was that at least in, in countries like Switzerland and some of these other countries out there that actually have healthcare mandates that to a certain extent work, their mandates have teeth, like real teeth, like they'll garnish your wages. They will come after you if you don't join up. Whereas here it's a little wishy-washy. And it got even more wishy-washy. He, he backed off of it. Now, and that's part of that's, uh, you know, Republicans were going after him for it. So, I mean, that's, you know, he, he shouldn't have given in. He should have stood up to it and said, no, this is how this works. Because it did. That that screwed. And, and again, and he did that by executive fiat. Just decided we're not going to enforce it. Uh and this screwed over all of the health insurance companies. And so now you get all of these people leaving. So, yes, the mandate is a good idea. Republicans were wrong to try to fight against it. It is absolutely necessary. Why? Because if you get hurt and walk into an emergency room and you that hospital has to provide you with care, they cannot turn you away. So if that hospital has to provide you with care, then it is legitimate for us to demand that you have to have health insurance. Because in the end, if that hospital is having to give away a bunch of free care, the person who ends up paying for it is the taxpayer. So a mandate is legitimate and should have real teeth, as you were saying. And it it had some teeth the way it was originally written, but then they backed off. Well, and I'm sure it probably had some teeth back in the 90s when Newt wanted one. Just saying. Why are you just saying? I already stated Republicans were wrong to try to fight against it. And yes, it was originally a Republican idea. So it was a good idea when we came up with it. It was a good idea when Obama borrowed it. And it's still a good idea. Well, the reason I'm in there, because I'm, I wonder now, even even if he came back and said, OK, we're going to enforce this or let's pretend for a second that Hillary wins and she goes in and says, OK, we're going to have a mandate and it's going to have teeth. They're going to freak out. Every one of them going to freak out and they won't let her do it. And the only way that she'll be able to do it is by going in with a quote, you know, executive fiat or whatever it was uh, to get it done and because they'll they'll just fight her on it. Um, so, uh, you know, um, let, let's talk about stuff that didn't get addressed within, within the system. And the two, two things that, 
that I think it missed. And actually, one of one of the things that I have is a question: Why were the why were the marketplaces necessary in the first place? And the reason I ask that question is that I was able to, when I was uninsured and working in an industry that didn't provide insurance, when I was waiting tables effectively, I was I was still able to go out and buy healthcare online. There were a lot of different places on I could go to websites and get them. Now I got turned down because of a pre-existing condition at least once. Um, and then eventually I was able to get it a couple of years later as I got further away from that diagnosis. But finding places to buy insurance was never a problem. It was would I be allowed to buy it. And what, why, so why were the marketplaces, why did they need those in the first place? Just remove the restriction on purchasing, uh, on getting turned down and let the market do its thing. Or restrict, you know, uh, stop allowing people to turn you down. I think the marketplace was necessary because of the subsidies. Now, I could be completely making that up. But, I mean, you look at these health insurance groups that are getting out of the marketplace, right? Um, And I think, and again, I could be completely wrong here. But I think the marketplace is all about the subsidies. And so you're, you're buying it through there so that you're part of that system. Now you can still get out of that system and go off and buy healthcare now from Aetna on your own if you want to, but there's none of the subsidies, none of that stuff, that's all gone. And you're just buying health insurance on your own. I think well, that's again, how it why works. Why is that a necessary way to do it? Because why don't you just have tax credits? Uh, we do that for all of I these agree. other things. Yeah, you know, I, the marketplace has always baffled me a little bit because, okay, fine, we're going to require people to have health health insurance. We're going to make it so that they can't turn you down, which gets them more customers in the end, and we're going to require that everyone buy it. And we'll give you, we'll, we'll just, uh, you know what, because this is a weird thing and it's new, we're going to give you a tax credit. You give us receipts, we'll give you a tax credit up to $1,500 a year. Well, the idea yeah, with that would something. be that because the amazing thing with the marketplace is that you're getting the tax credit in advance because a lot of people who can't afford health insurance, they couldn't afford to front the money and then just get reimbursed at the end of the year. So because you're buying things through the marketplace, you're able to get that tax credit in advance. Well, okay, that's fair. Uh, but what if we just had single payer and didn't even have to worry about any of this? Never mind. I didn't say that. Um, so the uh, it it didn't the marketplace has always baffled me a little bit. So there's that the um, the ability to buy insurance across state lines. That's something, and I, and, and, and you know, it is something that his orangeness talks about. And it is one thing that I, I actually agree with him on. Why, why is that? That that's that's still a thing, right? I mean, we need to. We that's something that would need to be dropped somewhere in there. And why is it that if I live in North Carolina, I have to deal, and I want to deal with Blue Cross Blue Shield, I have to deal with Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. I can't deal with Blue Cross Blue Shield and just be done with it. Well, I think the idea there is because of the. The reasons why health insurance companies want that is because different states have different costs of living, different costs of medical care. So if a 
health insurance company that operates out of California, where the cost of living is much higher, if they're suddenly having to compete with the prices of a health insurance company in Kentucky, they're going to lose. I'm guessing that's why. Now, I agree with you that we need to get rid of this restriction and the vast majority of people, I think, uh, I think there's bipartisan support for that. So hopefully that is something that will get removed. Now, how will that affect the whole idea of state marketplaces? I don't know. Uh, Would we therefore then just have one massive national marketplace? I got nothing. I don't know how that works. Well, because one of the problems that they're seeing right now is a lack of providers. And and again, this is where people in rural areas end up getting screwed is because they're seeing a lack of providers in, because in some cases this comes down to counties. You can have like three or four different providers for Fayette County in which is Lexington in Kentucky, or, and then you would have maybe one or two in most, most cases, just one down in like Harlan County or in another poorer, more rural area. So they're able to pick and choose on a county by county level. And you'll notice that the places where there are more providers are all concentrated within uh, major metropolitan areas and the rural areas are the ones that are getting left behind. So, and some of that I think has to do with, with uh, this, this issue of, of different uh, regulations for different States. And as though there is no way to deal with it other than saying, well, you can't live in Kentucky and buy from anybody who, excuse me, isn't based in Kentucky. You see what I'm saying? And I don't understand why this gets treated so differently from like car insurance. There are different vehicle regulations for uh, cars and, and insurance standards across state lines all the time. But my insurance has always been through USAA. Now it can rise a little bit and lower a little bit based on where I live. Hell, it can rise and lower if I move down the street. It's done that a couple of times on me. Um, but it it then it certainly does when I when I've moved across state lines. But still, the company remains the same. You know, I don't. I've never understood why these things have to be treated so differently. You know. I agree. My only guess is special interests. Why? Because that's always the problem. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't have an answer for that. Any Republican plan that you read, they're going to rail against that and want people to be able to buy across state lines because this increases competition. And it's one of those things that I was disappointed in. I was disappointed in the ACA for not doing it. And I think that that's why a lot of people in the Democratic Party will say that to a certain extent, the health care law was a weak sort of blowjob to the special interests. Well, and this did happen. Now, is this all Obama's fault? I don't believe so. I think Obama, uh, well, it sort of is, right? Obama, you're the president. You should get your party in line. It was uh, his, and it was his bill. It was his idea. But I, I, do, I do believe that this was mostly Pelosi, Pelosi and Reed um, bowing to special interests and that sort of thing rather than making a law that was functional and good. Right. Yeah, totally fair. So the price increase thing, um, all of this uproar this week over over EpiPen. The one number that sort of struck me that I didn't really think anybody addressed enough. And, you know, because I, I, you know, I I think a lot of people out there, uh, you know, in some of the places that I read are probably a little bit less likely to criticize the ACA. Um, 
was that you know the all of this these increases the the price of epinephrine in this delivery form had been steady right up until 2009 and since 2009 it's gone up by 600 percent yeah but you know what happened in 2009 the aca yeah hey hey so you know does is the aca responsible for a lot of these psychotic price increases that we've seen in the last little bit have we seen a lot I don't know that we've seen a lot. I feel like this has always been a really well publicized one. Yeah. Well, I I, I feel like it's always been. Yeah. This has always been a thing. The Epi's pen is the latest example of it. It happens to coincide with the ACA. I don't think that it's so much that the ACA did something to cause these things. It's that it simply did not find a way to fix the problem. Um, And the problem is that Drug researchers, drug companies have to put in a lot of money into investigating and finding new drugs. And the only impetus they have for doing this is to get paid. They're a company. They're designed to make money. This is what they do. So once they get their drug out, once they find, because you got to remember, there's lots of drugs that don't work, right? They dump money, dump money, dump money, doesn't work, doesn't work. Hey, we got an EpiPen. This thing is boss. All right. And they've got to charge enough to not only make money off for that one drug, but to cover all the losses that they took for all the drugs that they came up with that didn't work. And the only way for them to do that is sometimes to raise prices, raise prices, raise prices. Uh, and the system, which is what the CEO points out, is that the the, the system awards this, you know, uh, you charge X number of dollars for it. Well, nowadays, a lot of times the government is footing the bill for that. So people don't even care or notice, uh, or a health insurance company is the one footing the bill for this. So people don't even care or notice. So they're able to jack up the price. Uh, there are ways to address this. Um, one is what Bernie Sanders has pointed out that if you had a single payer system that could dictate the price of drugs and procedures, because this is what countries that have a single payer system do, you know, you'll see the secretary, the secretary of health sit down with hospital administrators and drug companies and decide on a reasonable price for all procedures and drugs for that year. Um, Another way to do it is to reward people with a large lump sum of money, right? So say drug company X comes up with awesome drug B that can save a bunch of lives, then the government has a large prize for them and just says, good job, here's X number of millions of dollars. Thanks for coming up with that drug. And then the actual price of the drug when everyone buys it can be at a lower level because the drug company has their reward already, has their money. And and cookies, we could give them cookies too. Millions of dollars in cookies for drug companies that do well. I don't know. Look, and the, look there, it's the a business. That I, that, I mean, I know that we're dealing with, you know, saving lives and all these things, but it's still a business. People get into these things in order to make money. The researchers, the doctors, everyone who does this wants to get paid. They need their living wage after all. So we need to, so it's just the way the world works. This is just the way that it is. Um, and, and yeah, that and we, that's fine, but that doesn't make it less icky. 
And the problem is that, and the reason that, that people get upset about this is that, I, I mean, you can, people can go online and this woman can go out there and be like, well, that's how the world works and that's the system we've designed and yada, 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 yada. And okay, you're not wrong, but just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. The fact of the matter is, is that EpiPens have been around for a very long time at this point. I used one 15 years ago and uh, because of an attack. Uh, and the cost of epinephrine itself is extraordinarily low. It's been around for ages. So it's not like anything changed with any of this stuff. What did change was that they had a couple of competitors that went out of business. So all of a sudden, they had a corner on the market. And so they didn't have any competition, and now they can shoot their price way the hell up. And for some reason, and again, it's this constant thing of, oh, capitalism, and that's supposed to make it okay. It doesn't make it okay. And it and the system... You want to go, she wants to go on, on, on the air and, and cry about how well this is the system we have. Well, then fuck it, the system needs to change. It does. And a major way the system can change is another thing is patents. Fixing the way that drugs are patented. And that's where you get into the, all what I was talking about with the idea of paying someone a lump sum of money. You give them a lump sum of money and then the drug can, is allowed to be quickly um, made generic. So that you can get all of these generic brands that are less expensive. Yeah, that's the thing. Because they have all found ways around the generic issue. Because that used to be the thing. You got somebody that's made a drug. Eventually, in a lot of cases, it'll become over the counter. Or if it doesn't become over the counter, it'll become generic. So anybody can make it and the price will fall. But early on, it's going to be expensive. One of the Pfizer was one of the, the, the over, over freaking Viagra of all things was one of the pioneers on this. That's why Viagra has been around for, I don't know, however long that's been a thing, 15, 20 years, whatever. It, it seems like it was, I, I don't I don't even know. But, uh, but there is still no generic for that or any of the other drugs that treat ED because they specifically uh, found ways around it. And whatever those loopholes are, they need to be closed. Some of that is loopholes and some of that is uh, underfunding of the patent office. Uh, some of that is uh, a lack of movement in the courts. Yeah, the the pat the entire patent office is a mess. So I mean, when we talk about ways to fix things, I I feel like rather than than well, yes, I agree with you that this company should just do the right thing. Sure, absolutely. Wouldn't that be lovely? But beyond just shouting at them, we need to address the issues that are going on with our patent office, especially in regards to drugs. Fair enough. Yes. Now, I do want to make sure that we touch on the cardinal sin of the Affordable Care Act. And it's a cardinal sin that shockingly and disgustingly was repeated by the Republican health care plan that was put out a few weeks ago. And it's the fact that we continue to have health care tied to the employer. We continue to provide massive tax deductions and benefits to companies that supply health care. So it is cheaper for a business to provide you with health care than it is for an individual to get health care themselves. And this makes unemployment terrifying. And it puts a massive strain on our businesses. 
because now they are, and in Obamacare, with the Affordable Care Act, it doubled down on this. Not only do they have these tax benefits, now they are required to, if you have 50 or more employees, you are required, 50 or more full-time employees, you are required to provide them with healthcare. And you talk about manufacturing jobs, you talk about our jobs going overseas, you talk about all these things. A reason for this is the fact that a single employee, a single full-time employee for us is so much more expensive. Because that business is responsible for their health care. Whereas in another country that has universal health care or simply doesn't have their health care tied to their employment, this isn't an issue. And so it puts our businesses at an enormous disadvantage. Yeah, it does. Because, I, you know, I, I give. And again, one of the things that, that I think people need to understand is, is the difference with. You know, you get a lot of politicians out there that are screaming about how hard businesses have it and how difficult it is for businesses to get going. And they think of that in terms of Mitt Romney, okay, who never had trouble starting a business. Mitt Romney could have started 20 businesses throughout the course of his lifetime and had every one of them fail. And he would never, ever have had to worry even if they had failed because this is always coming out of the mouth of, of, of extraordinarily wealthy politicians who probably have never really put their livelihoods on the line. For example, like you did when you went to open up a business or had to make that choice of, do I get that 50th employee? Because the business that they were in was sort of slowly, steadily growing. And so they, I don't think they have any frame of reference for exactly how this kind of thing can affect someone at the small business level. And I think that that's where decisions like this look to getting made. The other thing that I would, would state is that the actual, I, I get a statement every year from human resources that tells me not that, that basically is a state, it's like a, they call it a statement of benefits, right? So it tells me not only what my salary was at, on average, including whatever raise I might have gotten mid-year or something like that, but everything that they put into the cost of my health insurance, uh, retirement plans, the actual cost of having me as an employee. So I'm not entirely certain what the point of this is, uh, if it's supposed to make me feel like, wow, you guys are great, or... <laughs> if it's supposed to make me feel bad or whatever, but usually what it makes me think is dear God, they spend a lot of money on me. Yeah. And, and, and that's one. And two, I kind of just want them to give it all to me <laughs> because I feel like I could manage it better myself <laughs> if they just gave me the entire thing. Um, you know, but I mean, and, and, and I'm a, I'm a, in, in my department, I'm a low level guy. So Lord knows what I'm what everybody else is costing them, but it's, it's not a small amount of money. I mean, it's probably a third of my salary on top of what I make. You are absolutely right. This is huge. And that was a major issue for me with the ACA. I stand by the fact that I believe that it needed to be passed given the current situation, but this was not my ideal health bill in many ways, largely because of that fact it was the antithesis of everything I was looking for in a healthcare bill. But I, I stand by the fact that it needed to be passed. Yeah. There was just so much more that it could have done, you know, I don't know. And it, and it didn't do it. So, um, but I'm, I'm hoping what I'm hopeful of is that it will get addressed one way or t'other. 
you know, because I, I think that Hillary Clinton has been involved in this long enough that she's going to have some ideas about how to make improvements. And if God forbid Trump does win, I do think that Republicans will find that removing it quote root and branch the way that all of them sort of, you know, uh, arrogantly want to say that they'll do will be remarkably difficult. What the, what was that? Did you just blow your nose right into the microphone? Because that was really loud. I'm sorry. I had to blow my nose. I figured, hey, he can cut this. Whatever. Oh, man. I could have, but. Now you talked about it. See? That, now I'm that just going to leave it, it in there. Now you just got to no, leave it right. in. We're cut out yeah, this whole section. Anyway. But I think they'll find that removing it entirely is going to be very difficult. Because it's it's already accomplished a lot just from a standpoint of getting people insurance. It has, and it's ingrained in the system now, right? Everyone has created their their businesses and their insurances around this system. And if you yank the system, this is going to cause issues. Uh, instability is never good for business because if the Republicans get power and go in and change everything, how do businesses know that in eight years or four years, and the Democrats take over power, then they're not just going to change everything again. So it, the idea of root and branch, I, I would disagree. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea, but major tweaks, um, especially along the lines of getting businesses out of the business of providing healthcare for their employees, I think is crucial. Fair enough. All right. Well, we got to move along. Um, we're going to do both round of applause and WTF like we did last week and see if we can do it very quickly. Uh, so round of applause, who you got? Uh, I'll give my round of applause to the GOP moderates in the state of Kansas and to the primary voters who elected them. Um, there's been a lot of pushback against uh, Governor Brownback and his supply side economic strategy. Um and, you know, he was largely supported by Tea Party-ish type conservatives. And they recently had their primary for the upcoming elections. And the GOP moderates kind of won the day and booted out a lot of the hard right Tea Party-esque conservative Republicans. So I'm, I'm very excited about that and happy to see um, the moderates taking some control back in that government. Yeah, that's good to hear because, I mean, Kansas had been one of those states that was like sort of a, it was almost it looked at the, as like a litmus test for extreme conservatism to see if it could work. And it has largely failed um, since Brownback took over. They've been they've been they've been in quite a bit of trouble. Is Am I right about that? Well, they have been. Yes, a lot of trouble. And it's been bad. And it's. I don't. Who's our Who's our our wonderful listener and Twitter follower who was giving me up the road for support my support of supply side economics? What was his uh, name? Oh, you mean Jack? Jack. Yeah, I don't. Jack. I don't know Jack's right name. Well, Jack. Let me be clear here. I do not support supply side economics. Supply side economics believe this is the belief that if you cut taxes enough, that you will not see an actual decrease in tax revenue because there will be so much economic growth from the tax cuts that it will actually raise the same amount of revenue. This has been largely disproven uh, and is not what I support. I believe in tax cuts, especially for businesses. 
Uh, I do not necessarily support massive tax cuts for the upper, the, the 1%. Uh, and I do not believe that by cutting taxes, we can suddenly magically create a balanced budget because we're going to get all of this new money in from the economic growth. A balanced budget requires tax cuts as well as cutting in cuts in spending. Um, so I, I do not believe this idea of supply side economics, this magical we'll cut taxes and suddenly we're going to have all this extra money, but we don't have to cut any services. I do not believe this. And Brownback has proven that this doesn't work. Right. Fact. So, well, and I know there have been some other states that, that seem like Wisconsin was one of them. It uh, was another one uh, that people seem to point to and that's been struggling. And Bobby Jindal was basically run out on a rail in Louisiana. Uh and they're saying they're this talk that Kentucky could head that direction, but please God, no. Um, although Bevan seems to be running with the emperor thing pretty well. Well, Bevan, Bevan is cutting the budget. He is not cut. He is not cutting taxes and then just crossing his fingers that somehow revenue is going to go up. He is cutting taxes but he is also cutting the budget of places and making a strong effort to cut red tape and to save and to save money by doing that. So I, I don't think that we can yet declare Bevin some size supply side economic crazy. Well, I don't know that we're there yet, but I mean, the, the, the rate at which he's running around firing people concerns me. Um, at least to a certain extent, but that's another, that's a, another conversation for another day. Um, my, uh, my, my round of applause goes to 538.com. If you don't read 538, for God's sake, start reading it and, and not just looking at like the poll numbers that they put out there. Those cats really seem to have a good time. And I, and I love that when I, when I go onto a website and I read like some of the, the, uh, conversations that they have every day where they'll do like a talk back thing between the writers about what they're seeing and the numbers, one, they're very insightful, very interesting to read, and they're funny as hell about half the time. So, you know, they're not just a bunch of numbers geeks that are out there doing their thing. They really seem to enjoy what they're doing, and, and it's a lot of fun to read. It's a great site, and uh, Nate Silver deserves all the credit in the world for changing how we look at polls and um, and, and also just running a, a, a good uh, a good solid website that's a lot of fun to read. So, yeah, good on them. Awesome. Uh, I have w- not checked them out, but I, I, I need to do this. You should. They're, 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 it's fun. It's, it, it really is more fun than it, than I think it, it, it gets credit for. So, um, yeah. Anyhow, uh, WTF, who you got? I am going to give my WTF to any Republican that is supporting the cutting back of early vote, early voting days and same day registration. I, unless someone can present to me the argument that for why this is a good thing, why this is necessary, it appears to be nothing more than an acknowledgement of the fact that we can't win over these voters. We can't win over the African-American demographic. We can't win over the low-income demographic. And so, therefore, we are going to try to make it difficult for them to vote. Anytime that a party has to start trying to cut back on the number of voters in order to win, there is something seriously wrong with that party. And we need to be standing up and fighting for more and more people to vote rather than cutting back on people's opportunity to vote. This this stems from there, there, there was a recent ruling in Ohio who fantastically has a plethora of early voting days. 
um, but has decided to try and block, which we I think we tried to cut back on at one point in 2012, which is frustrating. But now we fought against the the quote unquote golden week where you could register and vote at the same time. Uh, and recently a federal court upheld this and said, yes, uh, you do have that the right to do that because because in large part we because we have so many early voting days, we're not creating an undue strain. But why? Why do we want to? Why don't we want to provide every possible opportunity for people to vote? We have such a horrendous issue in this country with low voter turnout. Why aren't we fighting tooth and nail to get as many people out to vote as possible? And unfortunately, it seems like the answer is because they won't vote for us. Yeah, I think that's I mean, that's there's no other way to put it. I don't think, you know, and they always talk about, you know, and what, what was disappointing to me with that golden. What, what did they call it, the golden week thing? Mm-hmm. Was that was that Kasich, who's somebody I is somebody who I generally have had good things to say about on this show, uh, was supporting attempting to knock it out. Um, uh, you know that was very uh, disappointing was, to me as well. I'm a yeah. I'm a big fan of K Dog, and I don't understand why he would put his support behind that. I, I don't either, and I don't understand why. It's it's like you said. I I've never understood why people try have tried to do this. Every politician bemoans the lack of po- voter participation largely these things this is something that i because i i'll look at an issue that i feel like republicans are pushing and i'll try to find where i think the democrats are contributing to a problem not looking to solve a problem i try to be as bipartisan as i can even though i do tend to lean liberal in this case i lay this entire thing at the feet of the republicans period i i they're the democrats are not the ones pushing for this this is a republican made up thing and they're always talking about all this voter fraud and and crap like that. The the numbers on that are so extraordinarily low. And it's it it's like it, it baffles me. It's like somebody looking at it's like trying to treat a headache with a with chemotherapy. It's ridiculous. I don't know. So yeah, my WTF goes to the Clinton campaign, if only because I am I am so tired of listening to I am so tired of listening to Trump people on CNN. Just get some Clinton people for once. Cause Every time I turn it on, the whole thing for like an hour is always commentators saying stuff about Trump and then giving a free forum to Trump and his little minions. Just, oh my God. And they're just all week long, all the time. It's, it's this baffling sort of war of words of, you know, with this week, it was the shift that wasn't really a shift and the words don't really mean words and, and nothing is anything. And Oh my God, the liberal media and the email and Trump is perfect. And this golden shining light of a human being and everybody hates us. If everyone hated you, they wouldn't let you talk so damn much. And the Clinton campaign just isn't anywhere. So who's your WTF to the media or to the Clinton campaign? Well, or it's Trump? a little bit of both, but mostly Seems to the Clinton everybody. campaign. Send out a send out your minions. You have minions for media stuff. Go let them talk and shut the Trump people up. Because God, I don't want to hear any more from Katrina Pearson ever. Right. I think in fairness, yeah. in fairness to the Clinton campaign, I'm pretty sure that the the media outlets pick who they want on. I don't think that the Clinton campaign can just storm the media room and demand. Well, they need to start. Uh, Well, (laughs) yeah, I I think your WTF is actually meant for the media outlet and for all of America (laughs) who is 
much more fascinated by Trump. Uh, who, Trump makes money for the media. This is just the way it is. Oh, Lord, you're right. I'm just afraid that one of these days it's going to start catching on and I'll start to see those poll numbers fall. And then the next thing I know, you know, you know, they're, they're Jack Kingston who will, will be a, a cabinet member and I'm just going to throw up. But I'm not going to move well, because I still love my country. Okay, the media puts Trump on, but it's not like they put him on and then like go, yes. Yes, you're awesome. You're amazing. They put them on in the same way that they would, you know, put on a circus clown so they could make fun of them. <laughs> you know, like the the media has. Because they do make it so easy. And well, and I mean, true, but the media at this point is incredibly biased against Trump. They hate Trump and are trying to get, unless you're, they're ultra right, and even a lot of the right media hates Trump. The National Review, for one. Uh, they hate him. It's almost like he held an entire press conference to insult all of them. You know, well, he did. Oh, wait, he did that. You know, and so, like, he brought this on himself, absolutely. And I tend to agree with the media in his portrayal of Trump. Uh, but it's biased. At this point, it is blatantly biased and plays Trump 24-7 for two reasons. One, because they want to do everything they can to make sure he doesn't get elected. And two, because he makes money for them. Well, I have a difficult time arguing that point, but I'm still tired of it <laughs> because it means I have to listen to these people and ugh, just, yeah, just blah. all right. Well, I think we're out of time. I think we're going to have to hold off on our other topic for an, another day um, because we've, we've been at this for over an hour. So uh, uh, having done all of that WTF, I think it's, uh, I think it's time we move on to something cool. So what do you got? We are looking at the final end to a war that has been going on for over 50 years uh, between the FARC and the Colombian governments. Uh, they have a, a peace treaty that is ready and going to be coming to a vote uh, here in the next few weeks. And they deserve every round of applause possible uh, for finally making that happen. And I think it is definitely something cool that that war might finally be coming to an end. Ordinarily, I like to just agree with you on the something cools, but you're going to have to give me a little background on that one. The FARC. Um, you know, it's funny because last week I brought up a, you know, an acronym of what well, I was talking about South Africa and I kept saying the DNC. Uh, that's my bad. That's actually the ANC, not the DNC. That's our Democratic National Committee. Uh, this time my acronym is correct. It is the FARC. Um, they're okay. a, <laughs> they're a guerrilla group, uh, in Colombia. They're the ones who have been doing all of the, uh, hostage, they, they kidnap a lot of people. This is their main form of making money. They kidnap and then demand ransom. And I mean, they don't just kidnap famous people. They're just grabbing people off the streets and have are responsible for just hundreds of thousands of lives lost. Uh, and our primary reason why that country has struggled so hard, uh, to try and get, get their feet underneath them. Um, and it's finally almost over. Uh, the, a lot of credit for that goes to President Uribe, or Uribe, uh, and he he really escalated the war on the on the FARC, kind of brought them to their knees, started up the peace process, and then that has been followed through by the current Colombian administration. Well, I'm I'm I am glad to hear that that's coming to an end. Obviously, I would say it's Uribe. I would bet Uribe is how they say it in Harlan County. Nice, <laughs> but kind of like uh, Athens. 
right? <laughs> or Versailles. Yeah, mm. let's be honest. It's all throughout the state. So anyhow, but no, that's uh, always glad to hear that someone is getting to a peace process for once. Doesn't seem like we hear about that an awful lot these days, but anyway, good to hear. So, all right, well, that's all we got for this week. Uh, it's up in the air whether or not we'll be with you next week. Uh, but if we aren't, please enjoy not only the week ahead, but the week after that. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Uh, come join us on Twitter. I'm at LibCon Matt. Tim is at LibCon Tim. Uh, have a great evening. Thanks so much for coming.